The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. So, to the Fiat. Voice of the Millennials. With Yasin Kipi. Igniting the youth. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to the voice of the millennials with myself, Yasin Kipi. It's another segment of In the Mind of a Muslim Millennial. Uh, I always find benefit in the stories of people who give their life to the study of the deen of Islam in whatever capacity they do so and I'm quite fortunate alhamdulillah to have visiting Cape Town uh, Imam Mu'adh uh, Kala originally from Gauteng but the current Imam of the Medina Institute Masjid in Arkansas in the United States of America Assalamu alaikum welcome Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Jazakallah khair for having me The topic of the talab al-ilm seeking knowledge is something that I think a lot of young people have a confused relationship with. What does actually mean? Recently, I interviewed Sheikh Ninui, and listeners, uh, you know, must have listened to that interview as well. And if they haven't, then they can go onto the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, and find that interview. Uh, just talking about scholarship in Islam, raising the standard of what we def- how we define scholarship and how we define seeking knowledge itself. Um, and what I want to talk to you about is your personal relationship with knowledge, how you view it and how you view the study of it and your framework. Um, but first of all, tell us about yourself and uh, you know what, what you currently do and what you've done. So Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me to be able to serve this deen. I was born and raised in Pretoria, South Africa, mm-hmm. hailing uh, from Lodium. And at the age of 18, I decided that I kind of wanted to get out of my comfort zone and do something different. Mm-hmm. And Allah blessed me to take me on a journey to Jordan, uh, Amman in Jordan, and I studied Arabic there. And Alhamdulillah, that was really a stepping stone mm-hmm. for me to be able to then go on into the Islamic sciences. I studied a bit of fiqh in Jordan as well. And then the real catalyst for me was actually um, at Medina Institute um, in Atlanta and in the Cape Town that really catapulted me mm-hmm. to be able to decide that I want to give my life towards uh, studying ilm. Alhamdulillah, now I'm uh, 23, still looking to go much further into the knowledge and into the Islamic field. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. Okay, cool. So the, that's that's very interesting. Now you're an imam at the Medina Masjid in uh, Arkansas, uh, in in the U.S. Uh, where's Arkansas exactly? Yeah. Uh, some people say Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, right? But it's Arkansas. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's actually very interesting because even Americans themselves, some people don't even know where Arkansas is, mm-hmm. and some people say Arkansas because okay. there's uh, there's another city called Kansas in in mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually what happened to me when I came back from the US and you know some of the people some of the elders ask you where are you and I said no I'm in Arkansas so they said oh so you're not in the US anymore <laughs> so I found yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> pretty that's interesting the, uh, US means New York or something like yeah. in the same way England means London right <laughs> correct so uh, yeah. in essence Arkansas is really at the south uh, kind of in the middle 
um, of everything right at the south. It's about a uh, four-hour drive from uh, Dallas, Texas. Mm. And Dallas and, and Texas is our neighboring, um, you know, state. Yeah. And, of course, above us we have, I think, Tennessee. So mm. Memphis is really close, which is about two hours from us. Yeah, so, I mean, if you just look at a map, it's a really big state. Yeah. It's known as the natural state. Very beautiful scenery, hiking trails, rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Um, it's sort of a one-horse town. It's so how, how did you come about becoming Imam there? So through the Medina Institute, alhamdulillah, I wanted to uh, go study with Sheikh Ninawi personally. Mm-hmm. And upon my arrival, he said, you know what? Uh, serve, I'm giving you this position of Imam. And I didn't feel I was ready for it, but alhamdulillah, I think Sheikh saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Yeah. And he managed uh, Or he gave me that, that role And it was for four months To serve there And when I was finished With those four months uh, The institute the, the board of the institute They asked me uh, You know we like what you do We really want to have you on board So would you stay with us For another few years mm-hmm. And um, it took a lot of You know persuasion But alhamdulillah in the end I agreed and um, I couldn't ask for, you know, more blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before we get into the, the studying of, of, of uh, uloom al Islamic sciences, um, tell, tell me about that, the psychological feeling that you, or the spiritual feeling that you had to uh, kind of jostle with the label as an imam. Now, many times you felt that difficulty of saying, okay, I'm not qualified actually to be an imam. Inside, I feel that, even though she can only recognize that in you. Uh, how did you, you know, eventually overcome? Or what is your relationship to titles in Islam and your personal journey with that? So, you know, titles is always something that's talked about in Islam, you know, whether people are deserving of it, first of all. Um, myself, personally, I don't like, uh, you know, big titles. Um, I believe that just being talabul ilm is title enough anyway. Mm. Um, but there was really a an internal struggle, meaning that when I sort of gained this title, I had to come to terms with it. How do I present it to people? I don't feel comfortable saying I'm imam of the masjid yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something you that grows on you and you have to grow into it as well it's a responsibility at the same time you know being uh, the young person I am and being an imam of a community uh, to be able to say you know I guide everywhere between uh, 5 years old to 60 and 70 year olds is is a difficult challenge Mm -hmm. so you know I really take inspiration from Rasulullah as we all do um, when he would go into khalwa himself mm-hmm. you know if you do not prepare yourself spiritually for the journey on your own then you can't possibly try to lead others yeah. and guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, also I mean as a young man uh, you are married now and that's a major you know help and support I'm sure in your journey both in terms of seeking knowledge and also being an imam because there's no there's there's not that distraction which is quite natural to young men um, of the opposite gender because you've got your wife and you can go ahead with life, sure. I suppose. Tell me about that. So, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me the ni'mah of a wonderful and supportive wife. Mm. Um, you know, when Rasulullah said, Ruziqtu hubbaha. Yes. 
that he was given the ni'mah of Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu an. I feel that I've been given one of the ni'mahs of this world. <laughs> Alhamdulillah to have a supportive wife. Mashallah. You know, um, a lot of the times when you get married, a wife will push you uh, to, you know, go into earning money, um, you know, where the money is really at. Mm. But Alhamdulillah, she's been supportive of uh, my decisions. Yeah. And as a young man, mm. it really is... Um, a blessing to have that for sure it yes. takes away uh, you know your eyes from certain things and that's when you truly actually begin to understand the the hadith إذا تزوجت العبد فقد كمل نصف الدين if uh, you get married to a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you have completed half your deen yeah. it's because it takes you away from half of the sins you may have committed yeah. I would say amazing yeah that, that, that's an important point um, as well so, so being an imam now um, in, in in Arkansas, has that hindered or you know helped you in your journey to seek knowledge um, in Islam? I think that anyone who is trying to be a talabul ilm or a scholar in his field, it's really key to serve your community as an imam. Yes. Oftentimes it's looked as a, you know, it's something looked as a, looked down upon. But I think that the position itself, you will only know the struggles of the position once you are actually in it. I used to think myself that, you know, an imam's job is easy. You come for five times daily salah mm-hmm. and you give the Juma lecture and then you're done. But once I was in there, I really understood what it actually means to be dealing with people every day, the emotional toll it may possibly take on you if you are not prepared and the time it takes away from you as well. Yes. It it really it really sometimes takes away from your studies if you don't manage your time properly. Precisely. I mean, that was one of the points that one of my teachers mentioned, uh, Shah Ahmed Hendricks from Mashri Zawiyah in Cape Town. He said that um, the difference, well, there's a, there's a major difference between a scholar or an alim and a leader of the community, an imam, is that scholar needs time and they need to study and stay in their home. And when people need a fatwa, people need an opinion, they'll come to him, right? Yes. Whereas an imam is someone who's in the community and he's learned enough knowledge to guide that community in somewhat. But of course, both of them were embodied in the persona of the Prophet ﷺ. And many of the ulama themselves were leaders. So it's an extra both bur- burden and also quality that you must have, I suppose. It is. It is a. It is a quality that I think every budding scholar should have. I don't think that if you want to be a scholar, you should serve as full time imam. Mm. Like in the U.S., there's a new phenomenon where I think it also goes on here in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. But you have the imam, and then you have someone they call the resident scholar. Yes. For example. Yeah. And that person will most likely lead courses and lectures, and he may do the jumaas. Uh, once a month but he also goes out and uh, to spread his dawah and to teach as well whereas the imam is more of a uh, static position but it is key in your growth as you know my sheikh uh, Muhammad bin Yahya al-Ninawi he said that when when he gave me this position uh, he said that you know you're starting at something good when I started, I would take care of the shoes and socks first before I be- even became imam. So you really begin to realize the blessing of what this position is, although it's looked down upon. But it needs to be said what an actual imam goes through. It needs to be recognized. Yeah. And sometimes people don't recognize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Allah bless them both ways. 
but it truly is a key essential part of scholarship i think that practical knowledge mm. yeah well, that's uh, that's an important point as well okay so um let's transition now into sure. looking at the the pursuit of knowledge talabul ilm in islam uh, there's an important book that a lot of young people when they start off they learn ta'lim al-mutaallim tariq al-ta'allum right the, by imam al-zirnuji uh, the path of of learning um or you know the, the way of teaching the student the path of learning and there's a number of ingredients in which someone you know if he combines he can be considered a talib now today in today's world a lot of people self self describe them they describe themselves as a talib al um it's difficult to actually talk about myself but when 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 i look at my own self and i look at the level of which scholars why people i consider scholars only consider themselves a talib al and they even consider other scholars a talib al as well I, I I shiver to even consider myself <laughs> as a talib al yeah. So, what do you think the definition of a talib al really is, and and should be in today's world, even though it may may not be that? Wow, you've put a heavy weight on me here. <laughs> um, I honestly feel that being called talib al as I said, is is a blessing enough anyway to be recognized as one. And as you mentioned, that you feel that you feel shy to even call yourself as such in front of great scholars who you recognize as scholars and they call themselves Talabul Ilm. And I think you never truly get to call yourself a scholar. I think anyone who's anyone and who knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't will always realize that he will always be Talabul Ilm. Because even up to Imam al-Bukhari, who we would no doubt call a scholar he would even say I never used to feel small in front of anyone except Ali bin al-Madini and Yahya bin Ma'in that means he knew his field that means he knew where he was as well and Imam al-Shafi'i he said the more I learn the more I know what I don't know so whenever you're going through this I think a talab al-ilm is someone just in my view and it's a man-made definition of someone who's not very experienced but it's someone who knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know and knows where he wants to go at the same time in his field. You can't be a scholar of everything. There's no such thing. You know, no one can know everything at the same time. So I I like the saying of the scholars that we, we attribute scholarship to them and they are the real scholars where they say, Man qala an, annahu alim no one claims to be an alim of everything. There's there's no such thing. Okay, so so then let's talk about the path of knowledge that that you've started and you're continuing. And mm-hmm. uh, what are the subjects you need to learn? What is the teacher like that you should learn from? Um, uh, just in the beginning stages. So let's let's for example use the Western uh, notion of a beginner, intermediate, and advanced student. Sure. Let's start with the beginner. What do you think is important for the beginner student? I think for any beginner student and for any Muslim, aqidah is one of the most essential things. To be able to understand your aqidah on an academic level is something that not everyone is blessed to be able to have and 
we oftentimes tend to neglect the local scholars, right? It's something that even the celebrity scholars, as we call them, will say that we neglect the local ulama. Um, you know, if anyone wants to start learning, myself, before I even went to Jordan, I went to my local imam at the masjid. Yeah. We are blessed to have two there. One would be now the local scholar. And I would sit with them and constantly ask them questions. And I took their advice in where to go. I told them, uh, you know, I want to go to Jordan. What do you think? And they gave me their blessing. And I think that they are the real hard workers because they don't get any recognition, yet they serve this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, yeah. Well, the, one of the things also, just a point on that, because the... the um, the whole idea of recognition is is a problem, and, and I think when you enter into the realm of, of of true seeking of knowledge, that doesn't matter anymore. It's almost like this whole this whole uh, corpus of information and knowledge and that can transform someone is too big for us to even deal with the uh, the idea of recognition mm. and prestige and all of those things. So. Uh, you know, just a point to add on to what you're saying is that uh, I think one of the parameters now a definition is super difficult to give because definitions by nature in Mantic is well, general and a specific, of right? Course, but the bawabit, the, yeah. the parameters may include, as what you said, uh, someone who knows what he knows and someone who knows what he doesn't know, so they can learn that. But also, part of that is to realize the fact that you can learn from everyone and you'll know exactly what you can learn from some people. For sure. And and this whole idea of recognition. Um, is is a, is a problem, and I, I mean, I can personally give my experience with with meeting, you know, amazing, amazing scholars who are recognized, they're quoted on Instagram and Facebook and yeah. Twitter. But when you get to them, there's all these fanboys and fangirls around them, excited but shivering. Mm. On the one hand, this is of course. Imagine how the, the people around the Prophet how amazed they were. But at the same time, how they interact with that person is based on a celebrity culture that okay this person is um you know everything and i'm 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 more imp i'm more worried about when i um, you know, just to be in his company as a student. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about the general public now. Then to actually listen to what he's saying and then to follow up on that, to learn that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a super important point that I think, I mean, I, I don't have any authority to say that, but based on my experience, people need to realize that recognition is is, is um, really a, a, a nebulous term, I think, and uh, based on experience. Yeah, I think a lot of the times, um, you know, when it comes to this phenomenon of celebrity shuyukh and celebrity scholars, of course, we know we have social media um, today, so things are very widespread and very easy. Yeah. Um, I think that those who get the recognition yet don't want it, sometimes it's it's from the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I can put it the way Abu al-Hassan al-Shadiri said it, he said, from the ni'mas I was given of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. is that I didn't get recognition for what I did. And when you come to that realization that it's actually a blessing that you don't get recognition for what you do, yes, uh, that, that truly becomes important because, you know, some people, Allah bless them, they sometimes have the intention that they want to go into the realm of scholarship but they want to go into the realm of scholarship to get recognized. And, you know, they say, I want to be the next uh, Muhammad bin Yahya al-Ninawi. I want to be the next Abdul Hakim Murad or the next 
Yasser Qadi, for example. I don't think that that's a valid intention. Precisely, yeah. That, yeah that, well, that just uh, captures a lot of it, you know. And um, the reason why we're talking about this, maybe listeners may not have had experience in, in seeing that, but once you are in the circles of, of knowledge, they say shaitan is not at the clubs because you know that's their background but he's with those people who are trying to serve the deen to confuse them away from the path right almost definitely i think uh you know it's uh, as our sheikh was telling us a funny story he said you know back in the past the shayateen would say that you know we would teach the people uh, you know how to do bad things But he says it's come to such a point Where we start to teach shaitan the things You know yeah. And that's why yeah. I think shaitan is talabul ilm in a certain sense You know when he goes certain places So he really I mean the, the waswasa is always there With the people of ilm And Allah bless them for resisting it For sure Yeah absolutely um, One of my teachers uh was given ijazah by his sheikh and his sheikh told him um, I'm not worthy of giving ijazah and I don't think you're worthy of receiving ijazah but because of the necessity of our age I'll give it to you <laughs> that's another part is pres- preservation of the tradition and I think um, marriage really um, makes that uh, apparent in, in your life is that when you're about to get married as I am as well you kind of feel like I'm going to have an effect on the next generation because that's how I learned from the previous generation. Sure. What I say and what I do is actually going to affect the preservation of Islam in the way that Allah has, has, has given me an opportunity to preserve Islam. And if it wasn't for me, of course, Islam is going to be preserved by someone else. But it's, it's the one life that I've got. Uh, and 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 so actually preserving that um, is an important thing. And one of the things that that you learn in academic institutions like the universities is plagiarism is bad, right? Mm-hmm. To claim something as your own, and that's always been bad, even in the Islamic tradition. But to copy something someone says and to deliver it based on what exactly as they said it is part of the tradition as well, isn't it? It's a really important thing. Yeah, I think. Um you kind of have to balance that because as you say plagiarism is a is a major thing to copy something as your own but you know um the shuyukh when they speak about preserving knowledge they say that it's not in the books yes there's there's no knowledge in the books this dean is about sitting in front of someone yeah. who sat in front of someone who sat in front of someone who sat in front of rasulullah sallallahu it's that ijazah system that makes Islam also, you know, um, really special. No other religion has a verifiable, traceable means to go back to their prophet. Particularly with, with the with the with the uh, ulum, um, the, you know, other traditions do have sanads as well, but usually spiritual sanads or something yes, else like that. Yes, yeah. with, with the ulum and with our yeah. with our verifiable texts, like yeah. the industry of hadith, there's. There's no way where you'll find such an industry. Yeah. And only those who actually delve deep into hadith will understand the true magnanimity of it. Yeah. Okay, so someone's listening now. He wants to become a, a real student of knowledge, a talib al-ilm. 
I don't like the term student of knowledge actually because it's like a, mm-hmm. a eater of food. That's obviously what you're going to do, student sure. of knowledge. So a seeker of, of knowledge, sorry, seeker of sacred knowledge. Um, you mentioned Aqidah as an important subject, yes. right? And you mentioned, do you have an academic understanding of Aqidah? What does that mean? Like, do they have to read a text? Who do they study with? How do they learn about So, in order to study Aqidah mm-hmm. at an academic level, I think one needs to, you know, there's there's a beautiful poem, yeah. the Mabadi al-Ashara. And if someone knows, first of all, the texts, you need to know the definition of the Aqidah itself. Yes. You know, um, then you need to know the texts. You need to know the Rijal, mm. the, the people who wrote the texts. Mm. These are all things that will contribute to an academic understanding. And mm. it's not, I think... Something that you can just go to your average library as well. You need to take it from people who took it from people, as we said. So, you know, don't take watered-down text as well. So when we come to the text side of it, you need to go back to the mother books, as they say, right? You need to go back to the Aqiratul Tahawiyah, for example. That is, uh, if we can say Salafi in, in the actual sense, going back to the Salaf. Yes, uh, you know, that was written in the first 300 years after the Hijrah. If you want to then carry on in the scholarship, you need to now start moving on to bigger things and you need to go down the order as well, see how the science developed. Mm-hmm. Once you see how the science developed, then you only have the base framework. You need to start reading the, as you say, the advanced and the, you know, the intermediate and the advanced texts. Mm-hmm. And that's just in one subject. So, yeah. And that still doesn't make you a scholar, right? No, I, I don't think that makes anyone a scholar. I think that makes them a beginner. Yeah. Um, not that even I can say I've started to begin. But that's only just in one subject. And then coming to other subjects, I think the most important subjects are the ulum and the usul. So Aqidah is one which you will learn a lot of the usul, and that is usul anyway. Then you'll have your usul al-fiqh, which is really important. If you can understand these concepts and ulum al-hadith, ulum al-Qur'an, then you're no longer just taking information. You are taking principles and concepts which help you to understand the Qur'an and Sunnah. Mm. And that's a concept that is not widespread amongst normal people. Um, and oftentimes, you know, it's like trying to explain the madhabs to a layman where he says, why can't I just follow Quran and Sunnah? Mm. Uh, but they don't see the work that goes behind the madhab. Yeah. That's what you need to see. Uh, there was a fascinating, uh, you know, story that one of the, uh, one of the scholars shared on, on Facebook and, uh, so there was an interesting story uh, A judge says to an old lady Would you like me to judge by the book of Allah Or the view of Imam al-Shafi'i, al-Shafi'i right? I actually received the exact same thing Yeah and yeah. she responds Rather the view of al-Shafi'i As I have more trust in his understanding of the Quran Than yours And, and that, that's indicative of like the Also the logic of the older generations That they understood these things Without even questioning them we are the why generation, and I suppose why is an important question. But in order to um, in order to find the truth, you need to ask questions. You need to ask the right questions. In order mm. to formulate the right questions, we need a, a somewhat understanding of the tradition. Now, um, there was a book 
uh, it was written um, recently on interest and the idea of how do we become interested in anything and it's a psychological okay. book and the author said that in order to become interested in, in a subject especially for university students who they are parts of the subjects that you're just so boring and you don't want to learn is to read 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 until you know the jargon or the terminologies until you can connect the dots by yourself mm-hmm. and then when people ask you questions about it you can you can you know somewhat formulate some sort of answers in, in your own mind and and I think the same thing is with regards to the tradition many people whether they're young and they you know somewhat refined Islam or or they have this Islamic revival within them, uh, or even converts to Islam, or call it reverts to Islam, um, then they feel like I'm Muslim and so I, Allah will guide me just like that. You know, mm-hmm. But they, they don't understand that there are two types of knowledge in Islam. Iqra, uh, Bismi Rabbika Alladhi Khalaq, time of Wahhabi knowledge of course, oh, and then uh, Iqra, Wa Rabbuka Al-Akram Alladhi Allama Bil-Qalam. Well, why is he ever generous? Because he taught the use of the pen. Mm-hmm. So this, this is be right? So we acquire mm-hmm. this type of knowledge. And the tradition of Islam, the fiqh, which is an understanding, is a human understanding, that we all need to follow that tradition through through just reading, 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 and learning, learning, learning from people mm-hmm. until we ourselves can, can, can ask questions in order to find our own truths, I suppose. Yeah, so... I think there's something very interesting that you mentioned is that we are the why generation but in order to ask why you need to ask the right questions mm. and in order to ask the right questions you need to have a background in order to ask the right why questions so it becomes almost a catch-22 where you need to know how to ask why yeah but you need to ask why to know how to ask why anyway <laughs> so it almost becomes a, a sticky situation. Mm. And I think the best thing is to hold on to the older generation in terms of wisdom and tradition. When we talk about tradition, uh, there's your Islamic tradition and there's your cultural tradition. But the Islamic tradition is something that's important yeah. because all the older generation can give you right now is wisdom. Mm. You know, uh, as my sheikh said, he says they're on their way out. They can't do the work that you can do right now they've done their work already yeah. you know the older generation um allah bless them they can't do as much as they used to do it's not uh, it's not their time and not their place but the younger generation needs to step up and in order to step up you need to be able to sit at someone's feet and say you know what you know more than me yeah. please teach me and that's something that some people have difficulty with at the same time today yeah. so you know with that tradition with that islamic tradition um asking why can also be destructive as the nabi sallallahu tells us that you know the downfall of the the jewish nation was that they would ask too many questions and debate with their prophets mm. so you need to be able to as you said ask the right why questions yeah but at the same time, take from that tradition. There's sometimes an attack on tradition, especially. You know, uh, we always say we want Islamic reform or we want to follow the latest trends. But um, when it comes to Islam, the interesting thing is, in order to move forward, you actually need to look backwards. Yeah, look exactly back at the right. Salaf. Yeah. Look back at Rasulullah wasallam and revive that. There's no such thing as Islamic reform. Quran and Sunnah is set. I think understandings need reform. Yes, absolutely. 
yeah, I mean, they tell you to think out of the box, but there's a reason we've been given the box. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think what's really important in order for to be a student of knowledge, um, always know what you don't know. Know that you don't know as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that the most dangerous person is someone who doesn't know that he doesn't know. Yeah. And those are the people who you'll find debating with you always. Mm. It was a real challenge and struggle for me to not debate with people also when I became Imam. Yes. You know, to find the middle path is something very interesting. Yes. And it may sound very controversial what I'm about to say, mm. and I do understand the ramifications, but as Imam al-Shafi'i said, if being Rafidi or Shia means loving Ahlul Bayt, then you are Shia. If being a Salafi means that you look for the Dalil, then you are a Salafi, or then make me a Salafi. If it means being loving the Sahaba makes me from Ahlul Sunnah, then call me Ahlul Sunnah. And if making me use logic means I'm a Mu'tazili, then I'm a Mu'tazili. I don't think that in my studies that every tradition or every part of Aqidah is 100% correct. We all don't differ on what the Quran says. We don't differ on what the widespread Sunnah says. No one differs on that. Yeah. After that, it becomes a human understanding and humans will always err. Uh, I think every tradition has something good in it, no matter what that may be, even if it's the smallest iota of good. And finding the middle path is finding the good in all of it. Yes, That's, that's something truly important to be able for the student to distinguish now and remove emotion. You know, when I sat with my sheikh and I, the first time I sat with him personally and he said, come and ask me your questions. I sat with him and I started asking him, uh, you know, about questions. Sometimes I may have found on Facebook debate and I said, sheikh, help me with this. And he actually told me, he scolded me. He said, what are you doing sitting with these Facebook debates? What are you doing sitting debating people? You're not supposed to be debating people. Go study. You know, you're coming to me with, uh, oh, this one is a Shia and that one's a Munafiq and this one is that. Why are you coming to me with this? You're emotional, you know? Um, and he said, separate your emotions from what you learn. And that's yeah. the idea of academics anyway. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to Islam, mm. we tend to become emotionally invested and overly invested yeah. whereas it actually needs to be taken a step back and say look I understand this is my religion but now I need to understand my religion in order to be and and emotion is perfectly good for the Tazkiyah part of it we need that but we don't need it when it comes to the sciences if you want to be emotional about certain things then you're just going to end up fighting with everyone and driving those who potentially would come to Islam away yeah absolutely uh, we, I think we are really some, somewhat a product of our environments because with the rise of like, fake news and uh, the um, you know emotions trumping quote unquote um, fact and truth or objective truth um, we, we've somewhat adopted that um, mentality in, into our own lives as Muslims when it comes to um, who's right and who's wrong and even on social media like it can it can toilet of the internet really when some of the worst things can be found there 
uh, even among the Muslim discussions, people swearing when you they disagree oh, yes. with you. It's really pathetic, and that's if someone swears and says the F word, whatever it may be, while they're talking about the Quran and the Sunnah. Yeah. It's a misunderstanding of the concept of wala and bara. You know, in for sure. joining the good and forbidding the evil is something important for us, but that there's a separation between the doer of the action and the action itself. Yes. Right? But when you're swearing someone else, and that becomes um, indicative of the fact that that's not a true talib al you know? Yeah. And so it's, I just. That's, uh, it's just, uh, and one of my teachers He said that You know you Go on social media And read the things To understand the pathologies Of people <laughs> Yes Yeah I, I think uh, A lot of the times now When I'm Maybe browsing through Facebook And looking I sort of find that I really 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 Want to jump into this debate And you know Try and help them Understand And maybe learn from them also Whenever there's a debate You know We want there to be Ilmun nafi'ah that you always learn from someone yeah. or someone learns from you. And I think debate now has a big misunderstanding. If you're going in to debate to try and prove you're right, the debate is already fruitless, as Al-Ghazali said. Yeah, exactly. It's Debate is so that you learn and I learn and we come to a conclusion together. Yeah. And if we come to an irreconcilable difference, that's okay. But maybe we may have benefited from the other. Mm. So I always find myself wanting to jump into these things mm. And then I sit back and I say, you know what, what's the point? Exactly. All right, well, what is the point to please Allah, right? And to uh, the six of Zarnuji, uh, to please Allah, mm-hmm. uh, to remove ignorance from oneself, to remove ignorance from other people, Baqa'ul Islam, preservation of Islam, and Ihya'ud Deen, Zahir wa Batin, right? Inwardly sure. and outwardly. These are the, the fundamental truths of seeking knowledge that has been part of the tradition from the early days. And um, may Allah grant us all to be purified from all of these acts of um, yeah and of you know difficulty in understanding that we don't know everything that we need to know and so that we can learn, inshallah. Shukran so much to you. Um, Thank you for having me. And uh, we, we hope to see you again, inshallah. I don't say wait too long from South Africa as well. I don't know, is, is, is your plan to just stay in America and serve that community? Would you eventually see yourself coming back to South Africa? I, I think I do see myself coming back to South Africa. Um, Alhamdulillah, America is a great community and a great place. Yeah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me uh, in his eternal and divine will. I was born here. Yeah. And I think that's the wisdom of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sent to his people as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So always serve your home community as it is the easiest means for you. Yeah, and absolutely. yeah, inshallah when Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wills, I will definitely be back. Okay, wa well, shukran so much and uh, wish you all the best. Shukran salam. Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM stereo. Voice of the Millennials. With Yasin Kipi. Igniting the youth.